0: Chapter 12 of The Prince and the Pauper This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Molly, Ho Chi Minh City The Prince and the Pauper by Mark Twain Chapter 12 The Prince and His Deliverer As soon as Miles Hendon and the little prince were clear of the mob, they struck down through back lanes and alleys toward the river. Their way was unobstructed until they approached London Bridge. Then they ploughed into the multitude again, Hendon keeping a fast grip upon the prince, no, the king's wrist. The tremendous news was already aboard, and the boy learned it from a thousand voices at once. The king is dead! The tidings struck a chill to the heart of the poor little wave and sent a shudder through his frame. He realized the greatness of his loss and was filled with a bitter grief, for the grim tyrant who had been such a terror to others had always been gentle with him. The tears sprang to his eyes and blurred all objects. For an instant, he felt himself the most forlorn, outcast, and forsaken of God's creatures. Then another cry shook the night with its far-reaching thunders. Long live King Edward the Sixth! And this made his eyes kindle and filled him with pride to his fingers' end. Ah, he thought, how grand and strange it seems! I am the king. Our friends threaded their way slowly through the prongs upon the bridge. The structure, which had stood for six hundred years and had been a noisy and populous thoroughfare all the time, was a curious affair, for a closely packed rank of stores and shops, with family quarters overhead stretched along both sides of it, from one bank of the river to the other. The bridge was a sort of town to itself, it had its inn, its beer houses, its bakeries, its haberdasheries, its food markets, its manufacturing industries, and even its church. It looked upon the two neighbors, which it linked together, London and Southwark, as being well enough as suburbs, but not otherwise particularly important. It was a close corporation, so to speak. It was a narrow town of a single street a fifth of a mile long, its population was but a village population, and everybody in it knew all his fellow townsmen intimately and had known their fathers and mothers before them, and all their little family affairs into the bargain. It had its aristocracy of course, its fine old families and off-butchers and bakers and what not, who had occupied the same old premises for five or six hundred years, and knew the great history of the bridge from beginning to end, and all its strange legends, and who always talked bridgy talk, and talked bridgey thoughts, and lied in a long level, direct, substantial bridgey way. They were just the short of population to be narrow and ignorant and self conceited. Children were born on the bridge, were reared there, grew to old age and finally died without ever having set a foot upon any part of the world but london bridge alone such people would naturally imagine that the mighty and interminable procession which moved through its street night and day with its confused roar of shouts and cries its neighings and bellowings and bleedings and its muffled thunder tramp, was the one great thing in the, this world and themselves somehow the proprietors of it, and so they were, in effect. At least they could exhibit it from their windows, and did, for a consideration, whenever a returning king or hero gave it a fleeting splendor, for there was no place like it for affording a long, straight, uninterrupted view of marching columns. Men, born and reared upon the bridge, found life unendurably dull and inane elsewhere. History tells of one of these who left the bridge at the age of seventy-one and retired to the concrete. But he could only fret and toss in his bed. He could not go to sleep. The deep stillness was so painful, so awful, so oppressive. When he was worn out with it, at last he fled back to his old home, a lean and haggard sculpture and fell peacefully to rest in pleasant dreams under the lulling music of the lashing waters and the boom and crash and thunder of london bridge in the times of which we are writing the bridge furnished object lessons in english history for its children namely the livid and decaying heads of renowned men impaled upon iron strikes atop of its gateways but we digress Hendon's lodgings were the neat little inn on the bridge as he neared the door with his small friend a rough voice said so pout come at last pout not escape again i warrant thee and if pounding thy bones to a pudding can teach thee somewhat pout not keep us waiting another time mayhap and john canty put out his hand to seize the boy Miles Pendon stepped in the way and said, Not too fast, friend. Thou art needlessly rough, methinks. What is the lad to thee? If it be any business of thine to make and meddle in others' affairs, he is my son. 'Tis a lie!' cried the little king hotly. Boldly said, And I believe thee. Whether thy shall headpiece be sound or cracked, my boy but whether this scurvy ruffian be thy father or no tis on one he shall not have thee to beat thee and abuse according to his threat. so thou prefer to bide with me i do i do i know him not i loathe him and will die before i will go with him then tis settled and there is not more to say we will see t- as to that exclaimed john canty Striding past Hendon to get at the boy. By force, shall he, if thou do but touch him, how animated a fool, I will spit thee like a goose, said Hendon, bearing the way and laying his hand upon his sword-hilt. Kanti drew back. Now mark ye, continued Hendon, I took this lad under my protection, while a mob of such as thou would have mishandled him, may have killed him. Host imagine I would desert him now to a worse fate? For whether thou ha- art his father or no, I sooth to say, I think it is a lie. A decent, swift death were better for such a lad than life in such brute hands as time. So go thy ways and sit quick about it, for I like not much bandying of words, being not over-patient in my nature. John Canty moved off muttering threats and curses, and was swallowed from sight in the crowd. Hendon ascended three flights of stairs to his room with his charge, after ordering a meal to be sent to Peter. It was a poor apartment, with a shabby bed and some odds and ends of old furniture in it, and was v- vaguely lighted by a couple of sickly candles. The little king dragged himself to the bed and lay down upon it, almost exhausted with hunger and fatigue. He had been on his feet a good part of a day and a night, for it was now two or three o'clock in the morning, and had eaten nothing meantime. in time. He murmured drowsily, "'Quizhi, call me when the table is spread,' and sank into a deep sleep immediately. A smile twinkled in Hendon's eye, and he said to himself, "'By the mass, the little beggar takes to one's quarters and reserves one's bed was as natural and easy a grace as if he owed them, with never a your leave, or so pleasing you, or anything of the sort. In his diseased ravings he calls himself the Prince of Wales, and bravely does he keep up the character. Poor little friendless rat, doubtless his mind has been disordered with the usage. Well, I will be his friend, I have saved him, and it draws me strongly to him. Already I love the bold-tongued little rascal. How soldier-like he faced the smelly rattle and flung back his high defiance. And what a comely, sweet and gentle face he has, Now that sleep has conjured away its troubles and its griefs, I will teach him, I will cure his malady. Ye, I will be his elder brother and care for him and watch over him and whose soul would shame him or do him hurt, may order his shroud, but thou I be burned, for it he shall need it. He bent over the boy and contemplated him with kind and pitying interest, tapping the young cheek tenderly and smoothing back the tangled curse with his great brown hand. A slight shiver passed over the boy's form, and then muttered, See now how like a man it was to let him lie here uncovered and fill his body with deadly rooms! now what shall i do to wake him to take him up and put him within the bed and he sorely needs sleep he looked about for extra covering but finding none loft his doublet and wrapped the lad in it saying i am used to leaping air and scant apparel Tis little I shall mind the cold. Then walked up and down the room to keep his blood in motion, solutely the as before. His injured mind persuades him he is prince of Wales. Twill be odd to have a prince of Wales do with us now that he that was the prince is prince no more, but king. For this poor mind is set upon the one fantasy. And will not reason out that now it should cast by the prince, and call itself the king. If my father lived still after these seven years that I have heard not from home in my foreign dungeon, he will welcome the poor lad and give him generous shelter for my sake. So will my good elder brother Arthur, my other brother Hugh, but I will crack his crown as he interfere. The fox hearted, ill conditioned animal, yes, thither will we fare, and straightway too. A servant entered with a smoking meal, disposed it upon a small new table, placed the shares, and took his departure, leaving such cheap lodgers as these to wait upon himself. The door slammed after him, and the noise woke the boy who sprang to a sitting posture and shot a glad glance about him then a grieved look came into his face and he muttered to himself with a deep sigh alack it was but a dream woe is me next he noticed miles hendon's doublet glanced from that to hendon comprehended the sacrifice that had been made for him and said gently act good to me yes thou very good to me take it and put it on i shall sure not need it more then he got up and walked to the washstand in the corner and stood there waiting hendon said in a cheery voice have a right hurry sup and bite now for everything is savory and smoking hot and that and tie nap together will make thee a little man again never fear the boy made no answer but bent a steady look that was filled with grave surprise and also somewhat touched with impatience upon the tall knight of the sword Hendon was puzzled and said, What's amiss? Good sir, I will wash me. Oh, is that all? Ask no permission of Miles Hendon for aught thou cravest. Make thyself perfectly free here, and welcome with all that are his belongings. Still, the boy stood and moved not. More, he tapped the floor once or twice with a small impatient foot. Hendon was wholly perplexed. "said he, bless us! What is it? Pretty pour the water and make not so many words." Hendon, suppressing a hoarse laugh and saying to himself by all the saints but this is admirable stepped briskly forward and did the small insolent bidding then stood by in a sort of stupefaction until the command come the towel woke him sharply up he took a towel from under the boy's nose and handed it to him without command he now proceeded to comfort his old face with a wash, and while he was at it, his adopted child seated himself at the table and prepared to fall too. Hendon dispatched his ablutions with alacrity, then grew back to a, uh, the other chair and was about to place himself at table. When the boy said indignantly, Forbear, wouldst, sit in the presence of the king this blow staggered hendon to his foundations he muttered to himself lo the poor thing's madness is up with the time it has changed with the great change that is come to the room and now in fancy is he king good luck i must humor the conceit too there is no other way faith he would order me to the tower else." and pleased with this jest, he removed the chair from the table, took his stand behind the king, and proceeded to wait upon him in the courtliest way he was capable of. While the king ate, the rigor of his royal dignity relaxed a little, and with his growing contentment came a desire to talk. He said, I think thou callest thyself Miles Hendon, if I heard thee all right. Yes, sire, miles replied then observed to himself if i must humour the poor lad's madness i must sire him i must majesty him i must not go by halves i must take at nothing that belonged to the part i play else shall i play it ill and work evil to this charitable and kindly cause the king warmed his heart with a second glass of wine and said i would know thee tell me thy story thou hast a gallant way with thee and a the noble art nobly born we are of the terror of the nobility, good your majesty my father is a baronet one of the smaller lords by knight's service sir richard hendon of hendon hall my monk's home in kent the name has escaped my memory go on tell me thy story tis not much your majesty yet perchance it may beguile a short half-hour for want of a better my father sir richard is very rich and of a most generous nature my mother died whilst i was yet a boy i have two brothers Ador, my elder with a soul like to his father's and Hugh, younger than i a mean spirit cautious. Treacherous, vicious, underhanded, a reptile—such was he from the cradle. Such was he ten years past, when I last saw him, a ripe rascal at nineteen. I being twenty then, and Azur twenty-two. There is none other of us but the lady Edith, my cousin. She was sixteen then, beautiful, gentle, good—the daughter of an earl, the last of her race harris of a great fortune and a lapsed title my father was a guardian i loved her and she loved me but she was betrothed to arthur from the cradle and sir richard would not suffer the contract to be broken arthur loved another maid and bade us be of good cheer and hold fast to the hope that delay and luck together would some day give success to our several causes hugh loved the lady Edith's fortune. though in truth he said it was herself he loved but then twas his way always to say the one thing and mean the other but he lost his acts upon the girl he could deceive my father but none else my father loved him best of us all and trusted and believed him for he was the youngest child and others hated him these qualities being all ages sufficient to win a parent's dearest love and he had a smooth and persuasive tongue with an admirable gift of lying and these be qualities which do mildly assist a blind affection to cozen itself i was wild in thos i might go yet farther and say very wild though twas a wildness of an innocent sort since it hurts none but me Brought shame to none, nor loss, nor had it in it any taint of crime or baseness, or what might not be seen my honourable degree. Yet did my brother Hugh turn these faults to good account. He seeing that our brother Arthur's health was but indifferent, and hoping the worst might work him profit, were I swept out of the path. So, but twere a long tale, good my liege a little worth the telling briefly then this brother did deftly magnify my faults and make them crimes ending his base work with finding a silken ladder in my apartment conveyed thither by his own means and did convince my father by this and suborned evidence of servants and other lying knaves that i was minded to carry off my elise and marry with her in rank and defiance of his will Three years of banishment from home in england might make a soldier and a man of me my father said and teach me some degree of wisdom i fought out my long probation in the continental wars tasting sumptuously of hard knocks privation, and adventure but in my last battle i was taken captive and during the seven years that have waxed and waned since then a foreign dungeon has harrowed me through wit and courage i won to the free air at last and fled hither straight and am but just arrived right poor in purse and raiment and poor still in knowledge of what these dull seven years have wrought at hendon hall its people and belongings so please you sir my meagre tale is told thou has been shamefully abused said the little king with a flashing eye but i will write thee by the cross will i the king hath said it then fired by the story of miles wrongs he loosed his tongue and poured the history of his old recent misfortunes into the ears of his astonished listener when he had finished miles said to himself lo what an imagination he hath verily this is no common mind else." crazed or sane it could not weave so straight and gaudy a tale as this out of the airy nothings wherewith it had wrought this curious romance. poor wound little head it shall not lack like friend or shelter whilst i bide with the living he shall never leave my side he shall be my pet my little comrade and he shall be cured hey, made whole and sound then will he make himself a name and proud shall i be to say yes he is mine i took him a homeless little ragamuffin but i saw what was in him and i said his name would be heard some day behold him observe him was i right the king spoke in a thoughtful measured voice thou didst save me injury and shame perchance my life and so my crown such service demandeth rich reward name thy desire and so it be within the compass of my royal power it is time this fantastic suggestion startled hendon out of his reverie he was about to thank the king and put the matter aside with saying he had only done his duty and desired no reward but a wiser thought came into his head and he asked cleave to be silent a few moments and consider the gracious offer an idea which the king gravely approved remarking that it was best to be not too hasty with a thing of such great import Myles reflected during some moments then said to himself yes that is the thing to do by any other means it were impossible to get at it and certes this hour's experience has taught me twould be most wearing and inconvenient to continue it as it is yes i will propose it, it a happy accident that i did not throw the chance away then he dropped upon one knee and said my poor service went not beyond the limit of a subject's simple duty and therefore has no merit but since your majesty is pleased to hold the reward i take heart of grace to make a petition to this effect near four hundred years ago as your grace knows there being ill-blood betwixt jean king of england and the king of franks it was decreed that two champions should fight together in the list and so settle the dispute by what is called the arbitrament of god these two kings and the spanish king being assembled to witness and judge the conflict the french champion appeared but so indubitable was he that our english knights refused to measure weapons with him so the matter which was a weighty one was like to go against the english monarch by default now in the tower lay the lord de courcy the mightiest arm in england Stripped of his honors and possessions, and wasting with long captivity, appeal was made to him. He gave assent and came forth arrayed for battle. But no sooner did the Frenchman glimpse his huge frame and hear his famous name, but he fled away, and the French king's cause was lost. King John restored the Courcy's titles and possessions and said named i wish and thou shalt have it thou it cost me half my kingdom whereat the coursy kneeling as i do now may answer this then i ask my liege that i and my successors may have and hold the privilege of remaining covered in the presence of the kings of england henceforth while the throne shall last the boon was granted as your majesty knows and there hath been no time these four hundred years that that line has failed of an heir and so even unto this day the head of that ancient house still wears his hat or helm before the king's majesty without let or hindrance and this none other may do invoking this precedent in aid of my prayer i beseech the king to grant to me but this one grace and privilege to my more than sufficient reward and none other to wit that i and my heirs for ever may sit in the presence of the majesty of england rise sir miles Hendon, knight said the king gravely giving the accolade with Hendon's sword rise and sit thyself thy petition is granted whilst england remains and the crown continues the privilege shall not last his majesty walked apart musing and hendon dropped into a chair at table observing to himself to the brave thought and hath worked me a mighty deliverance my legs are grievously weary and i had not thought of that i must have had to stand for weeks till my poor lap's wits are cured after a little he went on and so i am become a knight of the kingdom of dreams and shadows a most odd and strange position truly for one so matter of fact as i i will not laugh no god forbid for this thing which is so substanceless to me is real to him and to me also in one way it is not a falsity for it reflects with truth the sweet and generous spirit that is in him after a pause ah what if he should call me by my fine title before folk there would be a merry contrast betwixt my glory and my raiment but no matter let him call me what he will so it please him i shall be content End of chapter 12.